Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, one of the world's preeminent UFO researchers discusses one of the most important UFO document leaks in history. Wilson found a special access program buried deep, 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 what are called unacknowledged or carve-outs or waived programs. These are, even for the black budget, this is very, very deep. Wilson found a program that appeared to be perhaps what he was looking for. And he was able to get to talk to the program manager of this by phone. And then he got on a conference call with the program manager, corporate attorney, and the security officer of this program. And he said, this is your oversight that you did not bring me in to monitor this program. I should be authorized to monitor it. You need to bring me in. They said, well, we'll get back to you. This podcast is brought to you by Reverse Speech Radio, a podcast committed to telling you the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Using the exact same technology as the CIA, they know because they trained them. Join hosts Christian Decadure and David John Oates every week and hear never-before-heard reversals, revealing the hidden truth. Catch politicians lying, climb inside the head of serial killers, even hear EVPs played in reverse. Who's lying? Who's telling the truth? All will be revealed on Reverse Speech Radio. New episodes drop every Thursday. Find out more at reversespeech.ca. Listen and subscribe at reversespeechradio.libson.com. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs, here's Richard Serrett. Welcome to your Wednesday. Yesterday, the mighty Aphrodite and I celebrated our 19th wedding anniversary. And I only mention that because if you're a fan of this podcast or my work on Coast or my weekly radio program or my old TV show for that matter, it's all because of her. Had I not met and then married the mighty Aphrodite, I'm convinced I'd be sleeping under a bridge somewhere eating shoe polish right now. And that's only a slight exaggeration. Next to my anniversary, anytime I have an opportunity to talk with Richard Dolan, it's a very special occasion. Rich is standing by to talk about his upcoming appearance at the Alien Cosmic Expo, just days away. Details coming very shortly. And Richard is no stranger to anyone who even casually follows the goings-on inside the world of ufology. Rich is a meticulous researcher, an historian, a Rhodes Scholar candidate, uh, the author of must-read books for those who take the topic seriously, UFOs in the National Security State, Volumes 1 and 2, UFOs for the 21st Century Mind, AD, After Disclosure, and UFOs and Disclosure in the Trump Era. Rich appears widely on television, he's lectured around the world, and is a frequent guest on Coast to Coast AM. Richard Dolan, welcome to Conspiracy Unlimited. How are you? Hi, Richard. Always good to talk with you. I'm glad to be here. Let's mention to people that you will be appearing at uh, the Alien Cosmic Expo, which is happening Saturday, September 21, Sunday, September the 22nd at the airport 
Marriott Hotel here in Toronto. You're going to be speaking on the Sunday. I believe it's 9.30 to 10.45, something like that. Uh, yeah, I think that's right. I just want to point out these conferences now that uh, really organized by Stu Bundy. He's been doing this, I'm trying to think, three, four years now. They've always been excellent. It's a really great addition to uh, those people interested in the UFO subject who live in Ontario um, and even in the eastern part of the uh, U.S. and Canada, frankly. Right, so, right. Glad doing it. And, uh, of course, you'll be joined by uh, the Honorable Paul Hillier and Paula Harris and, and Grant Cameron, Leslie Mitchell-Clark, Wes Roberts, Sid Goldberg, uh, Travis Walton, of course. Again, just a, a who's who in the, in the world of ufology. Yes, yes. Now, you're going to be talking about, among other things, false flags, and I want to circle back to that uh, in a moment. Uh, first of all, what is the status of the, uh, the, the TV show, the Gaia TV program, False Flags with Richard Dolan? Yeah, it looks like I think that was a one-season, one-off. You want to know the truth. So we did it. I wrote it. I prepared many episodes for that. We aired 11 episodes that I wrote and stood in front of the camera for and just did the whole thing. They, be they were beautifully produced. I was very happy with all of that. We did the one season. So I don't think there's going to be another season of that. When it comes to false flags, obviously we just uh, we just passed the uh, the 18th anniversary of of 9/11. Oh yes. And I mean, as a as a noted historian and as a you know as a Rhodes Scholar candidate, do you get sort of is that a line that you cross? Do you when you decide I'm going to talk about these things, do you get tossed out of you know you're no longer in polite company when it comes to your your, your, your fellow academics. Yeah, I, I would say that happened very, very early on. Now, keep in mind, I left the academic world before 9-11 happened. So I was gone from that, from the university uh, culture, I guess you could say. And But what's definitely true is that, so 9-11 happened, I was still a new author in the UFO field, and that's always been primarily what uh, people have known me for. I wrote a, a very long history of the UFO subject that came out in 2000 and then was uh, revised in 2002. So that's called UFOs in a National Security State, the first volume. That's how people knew me. But when 9-11 happened, I started looking into that in a very serious way around 2003. I wasn't there right on right at the beginning. There were people who were doing that earlier than me. But I would say pretty early on, I started looking at alternative non-official explanations, and then began speaking publicly about my um, conclusions in early 2004. So that's, what, now 15 years ago. And when that happened, I can tell you that no one was happy, <laughs> except the people who were listening. So the, the people in the UFO field were, generally speaking, not happy. I had a number of very prominent people who said, you're making a big mistake by getting into this. You're going to lose credibility in the UFO field, to which I actually said uh, to one person, uh, as a UFO author, I have no credibility. So that's number one. Number two is the trains leaving the station. Don't miss it. 9-11 is very important. And this is not an issue that's going away. But also the 9-11 people did not like having a UFO author and researcher get involved in their field. So no one liked it. Uh, that was in the beginning. I, I remember reading a number of those folks saying, oh, UFO, who is this guy writing about UFOs? Um, we, don't, we don't need another, you know, we don't need a crazy person uh, joining our area. But what I um, have always 
felt is that there's a significant cover-up and has always been a cover-up on the UFO subject. That's a big subterranean part of our world, like it or not. And 9-11, similarly, is a big, um, is the major mind job done to the public in our lifetimes, I would say. Um, it is... It's the centerpiece of an era of false flags, I would have to say. 9-11 has happened for a number of specific reasons. So anyway, my logic in looking at it is very simple. Um, it's a, a huge, unexplained area of our world today that around which so much has followed. And I've just had to look at 9-11. There was a personal aspect as well. My dad worked at the World Trade Center for many, many years. Mm-hmm. He happened to have that day off incredibly. But he worked as a fire safety director at uh, the World Trade Center complex. The man he shared his job with was killed that day. I knew that man. My poor dad went through uh, many, many funerals. And it was a deeply affecting thing for him. I'll, I'll never forget it. It really took a lot out of him. But that's not why I went into it. I went into it because it became clear to me that there was something about the official many things about the official explanation that did not make sense and i've always felt if this were something that happened in another in another country like china we would perhaps have the detachment to look at that and say you know what the actual events that happened don't match what you're telling us there's something wrong but because it happened in the west in the u.s as we all remember who lived through it all questions were off limits and um and the next thing we know we're living in this nightmarish revolution and that's really what's happened it's been a legal revolution that's um that's taken place in the u.s first and the rest of the world has followed suit it's a world of 24 7 open surveillance a world where there is no privacy uh we're, we're in the upside down world now that's what we live in and, and 9-11 is the is the key that started that uh sorry someone i'm in under the stairs and someone is running the tap <laughs> sorry about that one second here that's fine I picked the worst place to build my studio. Sorry. Well, like Harry Potter, the boy. Um, if, if there's been, there has been several recent developments uh, going back this past summer. If I could maybe, regarding 9-11, if I could just get a quick take on these. First, we had really the first elected body in the United States stating beyond any doubt explosives, not plane impacts and fires alone destroyed the three World Trade Center towers. I'm referring to the uh, commissioners from the Franklin Square and Munson Fire District in Queens, New York, and they unanimously passed an historic resolution back on July 24th calling for a new investigation into all aspects of 9-11, again, which cites, quote, overwhelming evidence that explosives were planted in all three towers prior to 9-11. And of course, I don't know that this got any coverage in the mainstream media probably not surprising what do you what's your take on that how important is that anyone who looked at the towers fall knows knows i mean any any modicum of common sense when you see the way those towers fell they came at um free fall speed at least for a significant part of the fall north tower south tower and building seven and by the way that the study you're referring to uh, i think refers to building seven which was of course struck by no aircraft and there is a, 
you're probably about to mention the study that was in conjunction with the University of Alaska. I right, think. Leroy Halsey, yes. Yeah, absolutely. And all of these are important. The, one, the first one you're talking about got like almost zero publicity. It's true, it just dropped into the memory hole and was gone. But what, all of, what everyone is now talking about, and we've got academic support for this, is that the speed of collapse of Building 7 so building seven came down in, uh, I think, a little over six seconds. For about two and a half of those seconds, it was falling at absolute free fall speed. So that's been measured. And the only way that anyone, any engineer or architect is understanding this is as if all of the support beams were cut immediately at the same time. And in fact, that was part of their conclusion. So if that's the case, then obviously we're talking much more than fire. And, and of course, if you look at the photographic evidence of Building 7, there was a fire. But this is not the towering inferno that's going to take down a modern 47-story steel frame structure at freefall speed. You know, if you – aside from – I don't remember if this new study commented on how, how the roof did a kind of inversion just before the whole thing came down. So the roof, uh, if you look at it. You know, the roof is something like um, 20 stories above where the fires were. And the roof drops in at the center. And then the whole building comes down at once. Mm -hmm. So I'm not an architect. I'm not an engineer. But any human being who's ever seen a building like that come down knows that that is that's not from a fire. One of the famous things that came out at the time that we all learned was that no fire in the history of steel frame architecture had ever caused the uh, collapse of a steel frame structure. It hadn't happened. There were fires that burned for days, literally days, in many high-rise towers, and they gutted them, but the steel remained. The steel skeleton remained. Uh, earthquakes can take down a steel frame structure, so that's different. But even in those cases, the uh, the mode of collapse is very different than what you saw in 9-11. So... Um, we were it, it was an odd psychological almost like a test that was done to the world public and it worked the test was how how far can we go by uh, cognitive dissonance and, and tell people one thing while their eyes tell them something else <clears throat> there were newspaper uh, not newspaper media people who saw the towers come down at the time and, and commented on how unbelievably neat and organized the the you know, the falls of the buildings were as if they were um, through some demolition. And, th and that narrative quickly went away. So I'm very, I'm, I'm gratified. It's been 18 years to see that there's been some academic level analysis that's been published. You know, the, the work of architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth has been beyond academic level. They're, they have done excellent work, but they just have not gotten the uh, recognition in the public that this latest study has has gotten. So right. I'm very, very glad, glad about that. I just want to mention one more quickly, and then we'll move yeah. on. But uh, the other interesting development is that Lawyers Committee, the Lawyers Committee for 9-11 Inquiry, have submitted to the U.S. Attorney for the Southern District of New York, and that's Jeffrey Berman, a petition containing powerful evidence that contradicts the official 9-11 story. And Berman agreed to comply with the law requiring him to impanel a special grand jury to examine the evidence. This hasn't happened yet, 
uh, the committee continues to apply pressure. Uh, but I mean, that, to me, is incredibly significant, wouldn't you say? I, I would agree. Now the question is, I agree, yes, it, it is significant that we've gotten to this step. Of course, this is New York City. So this is not U.S. federal government, uh, as far as I know. And we'll see where this goes. Now, my guess, I mean, I try to look at this from the inside. So from the point of view, if, if you assume that this was a conspiracy to some extent by the U.S. military and intelligence community or cut out organizations that work for them, um, maybe foreign intelligence involved as well. From that point of view, from this this perspective, how long will we have to go before official truth is allowed to come out? And by official truth, I mean in conjunction with major media, New York Times, Washington Post, CNN, Fox. In my opinion, none of this will come out until all the major players are long dead and forgotten. Um, and, and until it's a foregone conclusion that we can't roll back all of the surveillance laws that have happened because of 9-11. I mean, think about how incredible this is. 9-11 sparked all, 100% of everything that followed in terms of government surveillance on people. The USA Patriot Act was the beginning, but it wasn't the end. And so everything that's happened is because uh, it's been justified to keep people safe from terrorists and you know all of these bad things. None of this could have happened without 9-11. And if it were ever to turn out that 9-11 itself was was a lie or based on a profound lie, I mean, you know, in earlier years, I used to think, well, that would just cause the whole house of cards to come tumbling down. But I think we're, we're so far into it now. We're a full generation in, almost 20 years, that the the perverse truth is that we could we could learn fully about 9-11 and it won't change a, a darn thing in terms of the national security state that has grown up around it. That's my fear. If you were to create a Venn diagram and in one circle there's UFO disclosure and then the other circle there is there are false flag operations including 9-11. Mm-hmm. Is there a point of intersection? I wonder about that. I want, there, there's areas of overlap in terms of um, government deception, official, official truth versus actual truth. So within the UFO phenomenon, we've had 70 plus years now of cognitive dissonance, of being told that there's nothing to this. It's all hallucinations, hoaxes, make-believe, psychological disturbances. When, when people have had these experiences and sightings know full well, that that's not the case. Um, and they've both, you know, it's involved what we can call a black budget special access program world or SAPS, where there's been deep, deep levels of secrecy, I would say far beyond any kind of ordinary public oversight or even government oversight um, in any normal sense. But in terms of UFOs as part of false flags, I have looked to see where I I see an overlap, and I'm not sure that I see that. I'm not sure that I see UFOs as, as a false flag phenomenon in one way or another. I think there's some people who do believe that. They see UFOs as uh, something foisted upon the public to justify something else or to hide something else. So there are people who don't believe that UFOs are extraterrestrial in any way, and they'll argue that... Uh, 
that the extraterrestrial explanations promoted as a way to hide deep black budget projects. Um, I'm not really much of a believer in that theory. I'm not saying there's nothing to it, but I, I don't I don't think there's a lot to it. But I I just, also, oh, sorry, continue. Well, I, I also, I don't, I'm not much of a believer in the theory of, a, I mean, you hear this a lot in the UFO field. I'm not sure anyone hears it anywhere else, but in this theory that there'll be a kind of fake alien scare, like a fake alien invasion. Some people call it Project Blue Beam. Mm-hmm. This has been talked about for decades. I've never been a believer in the Blue Beam scenario. Uh, doesn't mean that, like as we're seeing now, there's a little bit of, change in how ufos are being treated in the major media and i could definitely see if there were ever a point where we would get a kind of openness or some people call it disclosure it would make sense to me that there would be a little bit of the amping up of the, of the fear so uh playing up on the on the threat element of it partly to control the public partly to get congressional money um you know to fund programs so I could see that. But I'm not seeing a lot of um, – I mean other than government secrecy, government lies, to me that's the commonality that UFO cover-up has with false flags. Back to more of my conversation with Richard Dolan when Conspiracy Unlimited returns. Say, there are some great deals happening right now at GetTheTea.com. Let me tell you about the dynamic duo. And no, I'm not talking about Batman and Robin. I'm talking about one package of Super Strength Life Change Tea plus one bottle of Potent C, Potency, get it? Potent C Organic Sea Vegetable, which contains red, brown, and green marine algae, which are hand-harvested and sun-dried. Now get this, each April, the Gulf Stream upswells deep nutrient-rich waters to the North Atlantic near Maine, the Bay of Fundy, Iceland, and then get the tea's crew at Potency. They set out by shore on rowboats with organic certifiers to hand harvest the sea vegetable fronds. And Potency is the only brand to use five species of raw certified organic sea vegetables. The clean water then infuses the young sea vegetables with up to 80 trace minerals and amino acids free from contaminants. Sea vegetables are a great way to obtain that variety of trace minerals needed for longevity, wellness, and a healthy thyroid function. One package of Super Strength Life Change Tea and one bottle of Potency Sea Vegetables in pill form. That's the dynamic duo, now at one special price. Check out all the amazing deals at GetTheTea.com. The truth goes through three stages. First, it is ridiculed. Then, it is violently opposed. Finally, it is accepted as self-evident. Let me just read that again and what that means. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Historian, ufologist Richard Dolan is here. Uh, if we could talk about what you have called the, the UFO leak of the century, and of course we're talking yep. about these 15 pages of notes compiled by physicist Eric Davis following his uh, hour-long interview with Admiral Thomas Wilson. First, if you could just, for those not familiar with what happened, and then then we can delve into that. Absolutely. So back in the late 1990s, there's... Um uh, 1997, Dr. Stephen Greer, UFO researcher, was spending a lot of time in Washington trying to get uh, members of Congress, trying to get members of the U.S. government 
to talk with him in any way, shape, or form about UFO cover-up and about how Greer perceived, and I think rightly, actually, that um, this cover-up was extremely deep and buried within special access programs within the Pentagon. So this is all known, and at that time, one of the people that was making the rounds with Stephen Greer was Dr. Edgar Mitchell of Apollo 14, famous astronaut. Um, and there were other people as well who accompanied them, but, but Greer and Mitchell were probably the two famous ones. And it so happened that in April of 1997, they were able successfully to have a meeting with the vice chair of intelligence for the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Uh, that's a man named uh, Admiral Thomas R. Wilson. And um, and all everyone's acknowledged that this happened, including Wilson. Um, to me, actually, as early as 2006 when I, I phoned him. But he's admitted it elsewhere, and everyone knows it happened. Greer's talked about it. Mitchell talked about it. Um, and another Navy commander who was there, uh, Commander Will Miller, was also there, and he talked about it. So what we know is that Greer essentially led this meeting, gave a presentation to Wilson and some of Wilson's colleagues and supervisors talking about UFOs. Philip Corso's book was new at the time. That's the day after Roswell, talking about crash retrievals. And according to most of the accounts, Wilson and, and the people with him were genuinely interested in this. Um, so the meeting ended. And from what Davis's notes, and I'll get to Davis in a moment, point out is that Wilson spent a little bit of time after that with Will Miller, who they were both Navy men. Miller came in with Greer. But they were Navy guys, and they talked for a little while after this. Um, and what we see happening is that Wilson decided to look for the UFO ET-related reverse engineering alien tech programs that he was told existed somewhere within the bowels of the Pentagon Special Access Program system. And after two months of looking, found it um, and was denied access. Now, we know about this whole thing. I'll get into a little more of the detail, but we know about this because in 2002, Eric Davis, um, who's a, a professor, a, a physicist, works closely with Dr. Hal Puthoff, closely with Robert Bigelow and what we might call the, the National Institute of Discovery Science crowd, NIDS, Colm Kelleher, and... Um, Robert Bigelow, who runs it, of course, ran it. Uh, Davis was able to get a meeting with Wilson in 2002, where he sat with Wilson for a little over an hour, it looks like, got Wilson to talk and took detailed notes, put those notes together in 13 pages of uh, notes. And then there were two more pages that were added into this. And this was a leaked document that came out as a result of the death of Edgar Mitchell. So these were Mitchell's papers. Mitchell died in January 2017. It took a while for these papers to leak out. And uh, I know a lot about how that happened. I don't know every little bit, but I know a lot about it. But anyway, so that's what we're reading. We're reading Davis's notes that Mitchell had, that after Davis put these notes together, it's obvious he, he gave them out to his colleagues that he was close to at, at NID. So that would obviously be people like Hal Puthoff and Kit Green, and I'm assuming Colm Kelleher, and I'm sure Robert Bigelow, and Edgar Mitchell. So anyway, what happens in these papers is that Wilson began looking and he found, after a suggestion 
from the former Secretary of Defense himself, Bill Perry, who said, um, here's a place where you may want to go look. And he, he said, look in the Office of Undersecretary of Defense for Acquisition and Technology. It's called Ausstat. It's Acquisitions and Tech. Wilson found a special access program buried deep, 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 what are called unacknowledged or carve-outs or waived programs. These are, even for the black budget, this is very, very deep. Wilson found a program that appeared to be uh, perhaps what he was looking for. And he was able to get to talk to the program manager of this by phone. And then he got on a conference call with the program manager, the um, corporate attorney and the security officer of this program. And they, and he said, this is your oversight that you did not bring me in to monitor this program. I, I should be authorized to monitor it. You need to bring me in. They said, well, we'll get back to you. And it ended up that he flew out to meet with them and after describing what this program was about, they denied him access. And they said to him, according to these notes, according to what Wilson uh, told Davis in these notes, this was a program to study um, technology that was, and I want to pull up the exact quote, not, not from our civilization, was not of this earth, not made by man, not by human hands. And that progress had been painfully slow, uh, painstakingly slow um, in trying to make this intact craft, which apparently is what it was, that they believed could fly, but it was a slow going. Uh, Wilson wanted in. They said no. He said, what's your criteria? They said, we don't really need to tell you that. It wasn't Russian. It wasn't Chinese. It was nothing like that, uh, according to these notes. He said, well, I'll, I'll simply go up the chain and I'll I'll complain and I'm going to get in. They said, do what you want to do. And he did try to get in. He tried to complain and was told, if you um, want to keep complaining, you want to keep uh, protesting, you, your career will be very much at, at risk. You uh, can take an early retirement. You'll never become head of the Defense Intelligence Agency, and you'll lose a couple of stars along the way. And so Wilson was angry, but he dropped it because, you know, that's how it goes. So that's that's the content, the fundamental content of the notes. There's much more detail. But um, so I will just say this is, and I've said this many times, but it's worth repeating. I myself was shown two pages of of these 15 pages back in 2006. And I was shown it, and I've never told the world who the person who was who showed this to me. Uh, because it was shown to me in confidence. However, I will say that the individual showed me these two pages, and they are identical to what is out there now. Um, and I and I know it's identical because I'll never forget the phrase, not of this earth, not made by man, not by human hands. But the person who showed me this was absolutely one of the key people involved who would have been all over this. And um, so I've known about it for a long time. As a result of this, I... Ended up finding Wilson, phoned Wilson. Um, Wilson was not happy that I found him about this and admitted to the meeting but did not admit to anything else. He said everything else was poppycock. He's very upset. Voice got very, very high pitch and he hung up the phone. I spoke to uh, Edgar Mitchell about this back in the day. Mitchell acknowledged that the meeting happened. He would not confirm anything more. But... Um, but I, I've since done a lot of analysis behind the scenes, investigation behind the scenes. I've talked with a lot of the other people. No one wants to go on the public record on this. 
No one, no one wants to admit it, but I've gotten significant off-the-record confirmation of it. And I, I'm very confident this is the real deal. A lot of folks are investigating this. They're finding more and more detail to show that it's true, but uh, everyone's running away from this document. Uh, if, if true, this would indeed be the not only the UFO leak of the century, but just the, the leak of the century, arguably. Uh, I mean, where where is the let's say you know where is the the New York Times uh, and uh, the authors of that famous December 17, 2017 article? Uh, where are they on this? Are they interested in in following up? Well, that's a sensitive question. So, uh, uh, what I could say, I don't want to put people at risk. You know, they they trust me, and I, I'm not. I can't throw anyone under the bus here. But Fair enough. What I, what I can say, I wish I could. I, I'd like to say, off the record, maybe I'll tell you everything, but on the air, I, I can't. But what I can definitely say is the New York Times is different from its journalists. So the, the journalists who write for the New York Times, there's no doubt in my mind, have a very strong interest and, and probably would love to pursue this story. But we have to keep in mind, you know, their their first story came out on uh, the the uh, Tic Tac UFO and the TTSA program in December of 2017, and it took a year and a half before they had a significant follow-up. And it wasn't for lack of trying by the journalists. Uh, this I know for sure. Hmm. So the journalists have been wanting, they've been chopping at the bit to get more of these UFO stories out, and the publication itself has been, it's very, very tough to drag the New York Times into this subject of UFOs. So the New York Times just will not want, and you know, think about it, in, in, uh, from December of 2017 up until May of 2019, when the second major article came out, uh, the New York Times said basically nothing about UFOs when the entire rest of the major media has been exploring this. So the New York Times just won't follow up. So the Wilson document, um, until uh, Thomas Wilson or Eric Davis particularly, are willing to go on the record and say, yes, I'm owning this, this is true. Um, the New York Times is going to take the ultra-conservative uh, tack here. And it's, it's funny because, um, you know, the mainstream corporate journalists, when it suits their needs, they don't, they don't need to hold such high standards. I mean, they often jump in on leaks and rumors. And That's true. All kinds of things. They, they do it all the time. But with the UFO subject, they're not going to do it. They're going to be ultra, ultra beyond cautious here. Uh, I spoke to an Australian journalist about a month or two ago who, of mainstream, uh, a good guy. He really wanted to pursue this. He was absolutely into this. Did a lot of research, investigated, and was stopped right right in his tracks by his superiors. They said, look, until you get Davis or Wilson to, to go along with this, we're not doing, we're not touching it. And it was frustrating for him because the document itself is, is fascinating. And, you know, the no comments that I got from Hal Putoff and Dr. Kit Green, both of whom are deeply, deeply connected to all the people involved, mm -hmm. are, are incredible. So, I, I mean, I can, I'm going to read you Hal Putoff's no comment which he sent to me right away. I, I, I've been in touch with Hal for many years. He writes, with regard to authenticity, we have no comment on the documents recently being circulated. As some of us still retain U.S. government security clearances, 
and remain bound by the secrecy oaths we have taken, we believe it is in the best interest of the United States government and ourselves not to comment on any documents that purport to describe classified U.S. government programs or information. It's a pretty long no comment, if you ask me. And <laughs> yes. uh, uh, basically, it's almost an apology. Kit Green uh, is actually gave almost a, a more remarkable one. And I'm, I'm allowed to say this, so I'm going to repeat it here to you. Uh, his, he gave me an official and an unofficial statement, an on-the-record and an off-the-record statement. And by the way, I asked him, may I tell the world that you gave me an off-the-record statement? And he said, yes, you, you sure can. <laughs> he just didn't want me to repeat it. But his, this is his on-the-record statement. I have agreed on the record that I have no authority to confirm that it's a legitimate memo because, in fact, the fact that I've seen it the fact that I think one thing doesn't give me the authority <laughs> to declare its provenance as legitimate. I can't do that, so I won't say that. That's a direct, exact quote. And then he gave me a personal off-the-record statement in which we talked about the Wilson document for probably a full 30 minutes straight. The, right. the official so, denial so, is I'm, I, I'm told yeah. I can't believe my lying eyes. Yeah, I mean this was precisely – you know, these two statements – uh, and people don't know who, who, why Putoff and Green are significant here. They, they're both very, very significant. They're both deeply immersed, connected with Dr. Eric Davis, with the Bigelow uh, scenario, with Robert Bigelow, with Edgar Mitchell. These people all worked and talked together all the time uh, through the 90s and the, and the 2000s. So um, I think, you know, any legitimate mainstream journalist – should pursue this and should be fearless in pursuing it. I have, of course, I'm not mainstream journalist, but uh, I'm independent, and that's therein lies the difference. I think what we have, frankly, is a, a very. You mentioned the New York Times. Why don't they cover it? The New York Times has been very closely associated with U.S. national security interests for generations. That's never stopped. We know this through the entire history of what was called Operation Mockingbird during the Cold War, and. Mm -hmm. That, those relationships never stop. That is the New York Times working directly with the CIA repeatedly and to create what we now call fake news. They did that explicitly, like exactly fake. Um, and, you know, after that whole thing got exposed, um, it never stopped. It just took on a different form. There's no paid relationships that we know of. But the New York Times has worked very closely with the U.S. national security always has. Um Weapons of mass productions, anyone. That was clearly um, – New York Times worked directly with uh, the Pentagon on that one. And you don't get me started on the whole anthrax scare that you talked about false flags earlier. Right, right. The New York Times was gleefully contributory toward whipping up an anthrax scare before, before the first anthrax story hit the news. The New York Times was pushing up fear of bioweapons bio and um, – it just goes on and on. So I believe yeah. the anthrax scare is one of the uh, the Gaia episodes, is it not? Yes, it was. Yeah, okay. I, I pushed hard for that one. Well, people can see that online, presumably still. Yeah. Uh, well, Rich, in the in the meantime, uh, I don't know if you're going to be addressing the uh, the Wilson Davis uh, document uh, at ACE, but I'm Good. sure people will ask you about it, and yeah. uh, they can see you uh, again that Sunday, September the 22nd at the Marriott Hotel at the airport in Toronto, Alien Cosmic Expo. And just a, um, a correction on the time, you're, you're speaking at 10.30 oh, thank uh, you. to 11.45. Yeah, I didn't want to get you out of bed too early. 
1030 to 11.45, Sunday, September 22nd, aliencosmicexpo.com for tickets and more information. Very quickly, Rich, how do people catch you on Intelligent Disclosure? Uh, best way is, uh, first, I have a website that I run with my wife, Tracy, which is just called richardolanmembers.com. And you don't have to be a member of the site. To, uh, there's a lot of lot of open information that I have there. And that has all the all the data that I, I've got going on, including, including intelligent disclosure. But they can also go to my YouTube channel, uh, just Richard M. Dolan on YouTube or Richard Dolan on YouTube. It's, it's right there. And we do a live stream every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern time, and that's a lot of fun. We put a lot of work into that. I also do an, uh, an independent live stream every Saturday on YouTube as well, so I keep myself busy. Terrific. Well, I appreciate you taking some time to talk to me. I enjoyed it. It's been too long. It's always a pleasure, Richard. Enjoyed it very much. Okay, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'll be right back with a few words about the next installment of Conspiracy Unlimited. People are starting to finally discover my strange planet shop and they are loving the gear. The Mayan calendar design seems to be very popular right now and it's beautiful if I do say so myself. Rick Forgus from Atomic Werewolf Studios in Phoenix has done an absolutely amazing job with all of the designs. The Nazca Lines design is also fantastic, but I think my favorite right now is the Time to Redefine Reality t-shirt. But there's so much more than tees. There's mugs and leggings and tote bags and sweatshirts and hoodies and new designs and products arriving every week. You've got to check it out. Just go to strangeplanet.ca and click on the Strange Planet Shop button at the bottom of the page. Strangeplanet.ca. It's a strange planet. Grab the gear. Take the journey. Coming up next time, Morgan Reynolds of NoMoreGames.net gives his annual report on the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity Conference. Until then, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting. <laughs>